Hey everybody, welcome to Colony Drop, your favorite Gundam podcast. My name is Isaac. And my name is Brian. And this is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the Mobile Suit Gundam franchise. From the anime, to the movies, to the manga, to the model kits, to the clothes, to the food. Everything, Isaac. We do it all. Absolutely. Brian, today we have a very special topic. Not really a review, just a, just a general glossing over. <laughs> a run-through of the first half of a very special series. What's that series, Brian? It's a series that you hold near and dear to your heart, and that series <laughs> is Gundam Seed. Yes, indeed. Gundam Seed, for all you uh, fans who might or might not remember, it takes place in the Cosmic Era, which is not the Universal Century, so this setting has a completely new set of characters, set of factions approach to Gundam, I guess you could say. It very much feels like the one you wore by the numbers, but a lot of things are different too. Brian, we watched the first half of this series. Did you want to start off by talking about our thoughts after watching it, or is there anything else you want to talk about first? Uh, I can give a few background facts here. Do it. So this show is a TV series. The original broadcast was 50 episodes, but it has been remastered in HD and the HD remaster cuts it down to 48 episodes because it deletes the two recap episodes. If you've watched a lot of anime, especially the longer series, sometimes they tend to have like a recap episode where it just shows <laughs> scenes of what you've watched over the last 25 episodes, which are pretty useless. And and so I think it was a good decision to delete those. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they still kind of snuck one in, in a way, right? They're like a court martial episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, this series aired between October of 2002 through September of 2003. As far as where you can get it today, you can get it on Blu-ray. You can stream it on Funimation, which is probably where we would recommend that you stream it, given that Funimation, I think, is the only streaming service that has the new dub. Uh, the new dub was just released in, what was I think I think it was November, Isaac? Something like that, yeah. That's the one I watched. Yeah, and it's also on Crunchyroll and Hulu, but only in uh, subtitle only. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but those are your choices. And it used to be on Gundam Info, uh, the official Gundam YouTube channel, but I don't see it anymore, so it looks like they took it down. And they probably took it down when they released the new dub, I would imagine. Yeah, why wouldn't they, right? Yeah, they got to promote that new product, Isaac. Exactly. You got to sell, sell those DVDs. <laughs> you have to hear these new voices. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The last thing before we get into it, uh, so I did go uh, transcribe the Toonami promo again. Because uh, I think that worked well for Shars Counterattack. So, you ready for this one, Isaac? You can grade this on accuracy again. Do it. All right. Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, does all the Toonami promos. And he pronounces Kira's name differently than the new dub does. Uh, so, he says Kira Yamato, and the new dub says Yamato. I always remember it as Yamato. What was it in the original dub, Isaac? Do you remember? I, th- I want to say Yamato. Oh, interesting. Well, Mr. Cullen says uh, Yamato, but I will I will go by the new dub <laughs> with Yamato. So, Kira Yamato seemed like all his other friends, but he has a secret and a deadly talent. A genetically enhanced coordinator, Kira possesses abilities far beyond his earthling friends. Cast as protector and conqueror, Kira is unsure of either role. Battle lines are drawn and a new war emerges. Kira finds himself facing down an enemy he doesn't hate and championing a cause he doesn't understand. As Zaft and the Earth forces face off, Kira and his Gundam may be Earth's only hope or the harbinger of its demise. Hmm. I feel like that's kind of very general. What do you think? 
I'd say it hits enough points to be okay, but they could have done better. I don't know. Well, yeah. they really set the bar with Shars counter attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was maybe not the best description out of all their Gundam descriptions. No, and also I don't know. It, put, it sounds like they're putting too much emphasis on like the secret, you know, which gets blown within like. <laughs> two episodes yeah i don't i don't feel like that right. was a huge secret right it was just kind of like no. yeah he's coordinator but anyway yeah. that's the log line and isaac said this was sort of intended to be gundam for a new generation of fans uh which is why it mirrors you know the uc timeline in, in many many ways uh, which i'm sure we'll talk about but it, they updated certain things to be more modern uh you know at the time of 2002 so like genetic manipulation is a big theme and I remember thinking back to those times, Isaac, genetically modified people, food, those were those were big topics back then. I remember around that time I had to write an essay in college and like half the class wrote about uh, genetically modified foods. And you wrote about genetically modified people called coordinators. <laughs> Actually, no. I wrote And how about... they were living at the plants <laughs> and nothing was being done in the Atlantic Federation. <laughs> yeah. And you got to be... <laughs> No, I actually wrote about low-frequency sonar effect on whales, I think. <laughs> but I just remember, like, it was a big topic, and it's kind of still is today, but back then it was, like, a real big deal. So um, that that's, like, a big theme in this show. I have to agree with your assessment that, yes, this is very much an introduction to Gundam for people that might have missed the boat, and maybe they're just coming on board now that the uh, 2000s have started. So it is One Year War by the Numbers, a group of colonies called Plants, populated by coordinators which are genetically engineered humans they pretty much overrun the earth after suffering essentially an atrocity right because they're attacked by um earth the Earth's military alliance they use nuclear weapons against them and they managed to take out one colony i don't know why they didn't get the other ones but, but anyways <laughs> that's a good point like they only launched one missile not like a bunch at the same time but right i mean that must have been the only one that got through you know so i'm guessing the the Gins were, were up to par at that point. This show is interesting, Isaac, from like a lore perspective, because whereas like the original 0079, it kind of opens with a nice little background, like the one year war is raging. It's been nine months yeah. since half the human population has died. And we don't really get that exposition until like 10 episodes yeah. or so in um, where they drop all this alternate history with John Glenn on you. Do you remember? I did not remember that John Glenn was like such a big part of the cosmic era. I, I remember he was pretty important. I don't, I forgot that he got assassinated. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I, I do remember him going into space and, you know, he said, by the way, I'm only, I'm able to be this amazing person because I was genetically modified. <laughs> he goes to Jupiter. Yeah. For like 17 years. And then he comes back and he finds a space whale, Isaac. Yep. He brought back a space whale on what is clearly a ship that looks familiar to anyone that's seen Zeta. <laughs> so I should tell you all we have to know about him. <laughs> so yeah, he comes back and, you know, people start having more coordinator babies. People start genetically engineering their kids, but that doesn't sit right with like a very sizable faction of humans who tend to call themselves naturals. And these people oppose any type of genetic modification of humans and hate crimes start just spreading like wildfire. So eventually, anybody that's a coordinator generally goes to a plant. Not necessarily, but, you know, most countries on Earth aren't safe. So they go to these orbital colonies called plants, form their own society, their own nation, 
and they get attacked by Earth, <laughs> or at least the nations of Earth that have formed a, a military alliance and want to uh, wipe them out. Only one nuke gets through, destroys one plant's colony, and after that, the war sort of descends into a stalemate with the plants forming their own military called ZAFT, which stands for uh, Zodiac Alliance Freedom Treaty, or Zodiac Alliance of the Freedom Treaty, and they essentially overrun pretty much what Zeon did. I, you know, like the majority of Earth, or at least a sizable part of Earth, to bog down the war into a stalemate. Yeah, one thing that I thought that was interesting is Zaft seems to be doing a lot better than Zeon was doing. Um, in what way? <laughs> well, like when they were on Earth, for example, I think Zaft had, had taken over all of the spaceports except for one. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't yeah. feel like the Federation was ever in that dire of straits. I suppose not, but I don't remember in UC them giving, like, big credence to, like, oh, these are the only spaceport areas we have. It almost seemed like, well, you could always kind of set one up. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you that's know? True. Yeah. Like, I, the, the main thing was don't lose Jabrow. Everything else is kind <laughs> of, will be okay, but don't you dare lose Jabrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything else yeah. is expendable, right? Yeah, but Earth Alliance, it looked like they were down to Joshua and the one remaining um, mass driver that they had that can get them into space and resupply their moon base. Yeah. I tried to summarize very briefly the first 24 episodes of the show. So again, as I said earlier, we're only going to talk about the first half of the show, which under the HD remaster is the first 24 episodes. So help me out here when I, uh, when I get stuck, Isaac. But I'll do it. So this story opens in Cosmic Era 70. Eleven months have passed since the bloody Valentine tragedy, which is what Isaac just described, where the Earth Alliance nuked an agricultural plant, Isaac. It was not even a military-oriented plant. Do you think that was on purpose? Like, was the Earth Alliance military saying, okay, we're definitely going to starve these guys out? It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> or was this a case of Zaf was really focused on, like, protecting their population centers, and the only nuke that went through, of course, went to, like, an agricultural zone? <laughs> That's a very tragic way of looking at it. The thing that it reminded me of the most was, was you know, World War II. Uh-huh. Now, you're the history buff here, but I don't remember uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki being military centers. You know, I, I don't think that military bases per se, but from what I remember reading at the time, there was military industry there. Mm, got it. Okay. A lot of military gear and stuff had to be produced by like civilians so yeah okay that's fair yeah we're, we're talking about oranges and tangerines i think <laughs> <laughs> so. either way the bloody valentine tragedy killed uh-huh. two hundred forty-three thousand coordinators in basically a blink of an eye isaac that's uh that's a sizable number yeah but you know what god the plants have such low populations like that's not a lot of people in a colony we said this before when we were talking about the colonies right the mm-hmm. the plant design itself is so flawed because they waste so much space <laughs> that could have gone to like if they just switched to a cylinder they could have had a massive population but oh well yeah. but uh, yeah as we'll find out later uh, coordinators seem to have problems with that. <laughs> Speaking of cylindrical colonies, Isaac, while the plants are that weird shape, uh, like an hourglass shape, mm-hmm. our story actually opens up on a O'Neill cylinder colony called Heliopolis. Yeah. It opens with a Gundam Jack, very, very similar to Mobile Suit Gundam, except Shocking. this time it works, <laughs> Isaac. Yeah, well, partially works. Sort of. Ninety percent of it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five pretty boys aft pilots 
Atherin, Isaac, Nicole, Dirka, and Rusty. And I'll, I'll spoilers. Only one of those five people have a name where you're going to die in the first episode. And I'll give you <laughs> one guess as to who it is. <laughs> Poor Rusty. Poor Rusty. You were doomed from the start. He did his best. <laughs> <laughs> so they infiltrate uh, Heliopolis, which is a neutral colony under a third faction, which we haven't mentioned, called Orb. And Orb is going to become... <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> neutral in name, perhaps. Orb is going to become very important a little later on. So they, they enter this colony to steal the five new mobile suits, who are not explicitly called Gundams, but the acronym for their operating system is Gundam, which we learn when it, it's uh, turned on. Uh, these these uh, mobile suits are being secretly developed at this neutral colony. Where have you heard this plot before, Isaac? Boy, this sounds so similar to, like, the original <laughs> series. A crack military team infiltrates a cylindrical colony to try to steal a mobile suit that's under development. And would you know it, Brian? A teenage protagonist falls into the cockpit and essentially has to start fighting his way in the war. Him and his friends find themselves, you know, in this skirmish now since the the war was brought to their doorstep, essentially. Before he gets in the Gundam, he does shove a girl named uh, Kigali into a shelter, and she will come back much later, but she's very important. Unfortunately. And while before, <laughs> before he gets into the uh, Gundam, he sees one of the Zaft pilots, Isaac, and turns out they are what? They are former friends. Turns out they knew each other back when they were little tykes going to school. It's been a few years since they've seen each other, and this was not how they planned on running into each other again. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Atherin is very surprised to see Kira about to get into the strike Gundam. That hesitation kind of allows Kira to, to get into the Gundam, basically. That's right, and he doesn't waste any time because he goes into his little coordinator brain mode. He really does incredible for someone that's never been in a cockpit before of a military mobile suit. Yeah, he kind of fends off the attack, just like Amuro destroyed the Zaku in 0079. But outside the colony, Isaac, we see another Earth pilot named Mula Flaga engaging Ooh. Raul de Crusay. Raul de Crusay is the leader of those five Zaf pilots. They are part of the aptly named Le Crusay team. <laughs> <laughs> Not very creative on Zaf's part, he, perhaps. He's a humble man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, And you already know this guy is up to no good because... What does he wear on his face? He wears a mask that, dare I say, looks identical to Char's mask and Zex's <laughs> mask and many other masks worn by many other <laughs> antagonists in Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Rao is, is the first of maybe perhaps many uh, Char clones in, in this timeline. And one thing that I noticed uh, on this rewatch, Isaac, because the last time I watched Gundam Seed was in 2002, uh, so it's been it's been a minute. When Mu is is fighting Rao in like episode one or two or three, very early on, he has a new type flash. Did they add that in the remaster? I. It's funny you mentioned that. I do remember hearing the new type noise, and like my ears kind of perked up. I was like, "That's not the Seed nut." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't remember that being in the uh, in the original broadcast but maybe i'm maybe i'm misremembering it has been some time whether it's new or not clearly a wink to the fans yeah and even right after that Ra rao and uh, mu clearly have done some battles before because rao says him and mu are forever connected dun 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 we'll yeah. find more out about that later uh but anyway the gundam jack goes well the zaf boys they make off with the gundams well four of them anyway uh kira our hero pilots the, he pilots the strike away so he, he prevents one from being stolen but overall, a bad day for the Earth Alliance. They lose four of their five Gundams. 
And also a bad day for Kira and his friends because one of the Earth Alliance officers that he saved, that Kira saved by getting to that Gundam, her name was Muru Ramius, although I think the new dub pronounces it Muriu Ramius. Something like that. It's, I'm so self-conscious of saying her name now because I feel like it sounds different depending on who says it. How do you pronounce her name? I could have sworn at some point, I think another officer called her like Miru, but in my head, I just, she always referred to as Ramius. <laughs> Ramius, okay. So Ramius or Ramius or whatever her name is, uh, she says, you know what? Thanks, Kira. And thanks to you guys for saving me. But you know what? You all have to board the, the Archangel now, which is the new ship that was also being developed along with the Gundams. And uh, you, you can't leave, sorry, because you've, you've seen too much and it's all confidential. So tough luck. Get on the ship. And they are very upset about that. I don't know. How do you feel about that, Isaac? That was an interesting take on it. You know, it wasn't very much like um, the original series where it's like, well, you got to get in this ship to survive. It's more like, thank you for saving me, but now I have to detain you <laughs> because you <laughs> clearly know our weapon. And uh, yep. they, they kind of lampshade this later on in I think maybe this first... 20-something episodes, the first half. Actually, I forgot what general she's meeting with. Oh, I think it was uh, Hal Burton. Uh, Natarl brings it up. She's like, well, we can't let these kids go, you know, even though you're saying we can discharge them because they clearly know about the secret weapon and, like, yeah. what they tell the enemy. And then General Hal Burton's like, well, the enemy stole four of our prototypes, so clearly they know <laughs> everything about them by now. And it's been months <laughs> since this happened. <laughs> Oops. So, yes, I, I can see her thinking at the moment, but yeah, it did have a lot of flaws to it. That like, you know, really, would the children of this colony that just got attacked by Zaft run to Zaft and like reveal information or anything like that? I mean, <laughs> you know, also they're a neutral nation, so you kind of just kidnapped the you, you took hostage the citizens of a neutral nation. <laughs> yeah, aka <laughs> not really neutral, aka more of an ally. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we have to forgive Ramius. She was doing the best she could in the moment. She's not a pilot, but she had to get in the cockpit and try to survive and everything went to shit it so. did it did and so uh, right after they kira fends off the first attack our our pal Raoul crusade comes down to do his own attack and then that's when things go real bad for the colony a lot of mistakes were made here kira uses a like a what's called the the strike gundam can have these different what are called striker packs and uh, one of them is the i believe they call it either the power pack or the buster pack i don't remember the one with the big gun what happens when you when you shoot a big gun, a big beam gun in a colony? You generally blow a hole in it because nine out of ten times with we weapons, you're going to miss. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kira missed big time. <laughs> yeah. Blows a hole in the side of the colony, starts shooting that, that, cylind- that the, 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 the central support beam in the middle. Yeah, that's the thing, right? <laughs> so Kira blew a hole in it. The Gins or the Jins, whatever you want to call them, and uh, the Archangel, they were all just shooting everywhere. Missiles were flying all, all over the place. That particular uh, colony had this big, I don't know, central shaft thing, and they just blew the hell out of that thing. That thing collapsed. The whole colony collapses, and Kira gets sucked into space, and, and everyone in the shelter gets shot out of these escape pods, which is I thought was actually pretty cool. Have we ever seen that in Universal Century timeline? <sighs> It might have been in Zeta. I remember we actually do see a shelter ejecting and turning into like a, a pod that okay. I assume a Solomus can pick up and save. Got but it. Um, it was really nice seeing that maybe this is <laughs> maybe this is an orb only thing. I can see orb <laughs> really bending backwards like for their own people, right? Maybe yeah. not Atlantic Federation, but <laughs> 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 anyways, yeah. I it was very nice to see that 
some thought had been gone into the fact that you can't just get into a shelter if your colony's like being destroyed. You actually <laughs> need to like jettison and like turn it into like a lifeboat. You know, get away from the colony, and and they did because that colony looked, you know, it looked like the cat got it when uh, <laughs> by by the time the episode ends. Yeah, it was completely just shredded. Yeah. There there was nothing nothing salvageable of that colony at all. So the Archangel, our heroes regroup, but so does the enemy, and they they start uh, the, the Zaft boys start p- pursuing the Archangel. The Archangel decides to head to this uh, fortress called Artemis. That has a beam shield around it, known as the Umbrella. For all our fans, the Archangel is, of course, their white base. It's a legged white ship designed to carry mobile suits, fight in combat, be able to go to Earth, and also back. Yeah, and it's a pretty much a carbon copy of the white base, except updated. It looks, you know, yeah. thirty years newer. What What do you think of not not to sidetrack us a bit, but thumbs up, thumbs down, lukewarm, Brian? You know, I thought this show did a great job of showing all of the different cannons and missile launchers and things on the Archangel. So that part I really like. I think the two front legs are just a little too big for me. Right. Uh, something about their positioning or the angle. It's, yeah. I don't know. It's very... The, the legs are just real in your face. <laughs> yeah. It catches the eye the wrong way. Like, yeah. The, it's like the Clydesdale legs or something. Anyways, <laughs> continue with Artemis. <laughs> <laughs> our, our heroes land on Artemis, and they, they talk to these very unfriendly uh, alliance people, uh, who I was a little actually confused. You're a little bit more in the know about the uh, political sphere here in the cosmic era. The Artemis people were wearing uniforms that were very similar, but not exactly the same as the crew of the uh, Archangel. Were they not exactly on the same team? Were they a Eurasian base or something? That's right, that's right. The Earth Alliance is, as its namesake, an alliance of different super nations, pretty much. There's the Atlantic Federation that controls, like, North America. I think they took over South America, too, and the United Kingdom. There's Eurasian Federation, which controls, like, Europe and Russia. And then, um, you know, some other nations also called, like, I think, African Community and Equatorial Union, things like that. Mm -hmm. Although I think actually African community might be loyal to Zaft or a Zaft ally. But anyways, yes, the uniforms look the same because these are Earth Alliance uniforms. So they're all going to be predominantly white. Only very small details, like Eurasians having a bit more black on them in certain areas, kind of shows that, you know, technically they're Eurasian as opposed to being, you know, Atlantic Federation guys. I think they tend to favor like a lot more yellow and red. Yeah, I do remember the, like the yellow on their collar or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they have this sort of impenetrable fortress because they have this beam shield, uh, again, called the umbrella. But the umbrella has a, a big flaw, and that is that they turn it off sometimes. And it just so happens that one of the Gundams that Zaft stole is the Blitz Gundam. Isaac, what does the Blitz Gundam do? The Blitz Gundam has a cloak, Brian. It's got something called Mirage <sighs> Colloid. <laughs> That's not good when you turn your beam shield off. No. And while we're on the subject of Mirage Colloid, may I just chastise the Earth military for, instead of, like, putting it on a, a mobile suit, why didn't we put it on, like, missiles or something? <laughs> right? <laughs> we could have blown those those plants out of the sky. <laughs> Anyways, please continue. <laughs> so, Rao and the Zaft boys, they, they, they leave when Artemis puts the shield on. And then... Artemis turns the shield off because, you know, I guess they don't want to waste power or, or whatever. 
those Zapt boys are like, all right, well, we'll just send Blitz in there. They, they won't be able to see him. So Blitz goes in, basically just wrecks the place. Kira fends him off. Archangel escapes, but Artemis is basically a disaster. It's kind of blown up after the fact. So the Earth Alliance's impenetrable fortress was essentially ruined by one lone mobile suit. Kind of embarrassing. But while yeah. while our heroes were on Artemis, we did find out that uh, Athrun Zala is the son of Patrick Zala, who is a very high-ranking Zaft official. And Athrun is supposed to marry a girl named Lacus Klein, or some of us may remember her as Lacus Klein. I miss Lacus because that was a way better pronunciation. <laughs> oh man, all I could think of was so when I heard Lacus the first time, I was like, Lacus is loose. Like that's all, I I can't <laughs> I, I can't I can't do it. Our younger listeners should turn off the podcast because Lacus has unfortunate implications in its name meaning. so yeah i'm not a fan of this apparently they wanted this version in the redub so i guess this is how it's supposed to be pronounced but i don't know i not a good choice (laughs) i i did read some people discussing it i don't remember if it was on reddit or somewhere else but apparently lacus might be the latin uh pronunciation so maybe it's more technically Mm. correct but man it sounds jarring when you're used to hearing lacus yeah it's like what who are they talking they, about they like, said oh. they said lacus for the first time and i was like what who miss lacus i was like <laughs> they can't mean her can they <laughs> i was like oh no i'm gonna hear this for the whole season <laughs> yeah she's gonna recur in the next you know 100 episodes of this yeah. show so not a, not a throwaway character uh, so lacus uh, is the daughter of another high-ranking zapt official in fact i believe he's the supreme chancellor did i get that right isaac that's right. He currently holds the seat. He's their mm-hmm. elected leader. But old Patrick Zala, he's a bit of a warmonger. Turns out Chairman Siegel Klein, Lacus's dad, he's a moderate. So he's, he has, as much as the war's going on, he really would like peace to happen. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, though. <laughs> so our, our archangel friends leave Artemis. They're essentially trying to get to Earth or the moon at this point, just trying to kind of get away from Raleigh Crusade's team. Uh, because remember, the Archangel didn't exactly launch with a full crew. At this point, Kira's friends are like heavily responsible for manning this ship. Basically exactly like the white base from 0079. And they're kind of running low on supplies. They're running low on you know weapons, basically everything. And they're getting, they're getting hit. They're getting damaged. They need to find shelter, whether that's on the moon base or, or on Earth. But on their way to finding supplies, they happen to find someone in an escape pod. And that someone is Lacus, the girl we just learned about. Bit convenient, Isaac. Yeah, I don't. Apparently, she decided to go for a pleasure cruise on her yacht, <laughs> and it was attacked by like local space pirates. <laughs> so, her little skate pod jettisoned, and yeah, God, she comes off as so naive. I don't remember her being this naive in the original series, but like, they open the pod, and she's like, "It's a pleasure to meet you." Oh, you happen to be from Earth and all this stuff. (laughs) Gee, I sure hope everyone on my hollowed out yacht with like the massive damage is okay. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out they're not. They're all dead. Yeah. We meet our our naive pink little pop pop star princess that has no place. She might be my my greatest criticism of the series because I think she just drags it down so much compared to... The original Mobile Suit Gundam, there was really nobody like her that was just this this naive. I know you're not a fan of Lala from the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Do you dislike Lacus Lacus more than Lala? They're completely different characters. I like I dislike Lacus more. Wow. Yeah, I'll say that. That's yeah. big. Okay. Yeah. Say what you will about Lala, but she was a combat pilot. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. 
so the Archangel uh, becomes under attack again from the Le Creuset team because that's what they do. They're, they're trying to sink this ship. <laughs> I love your, I love how you put a real a lot of like Francophile pronunciation <laughs> into that one. His name is just so fun to say. I'm, I'm going to say it as much as I can and keep pronouncing it in a, in a terrible French way. Are you going to go to like restaurants where they reopen and you'll be like, you look at the menu <laughs> and you'll be like, I'll have the Le Creuset. <laughs> The waiter would be like, there's nothing on that, sir. And you'd be like, oh, of course. Of course you wouldn't have any. Peasants. Peasants, all of you. I'll go somewhere else for electricity. Um, so they get in another big fleet battle. And this fleet battle just happens to include the father of one of Kira's friends on board, whose name is Flay. She is a bit uh, crazy. I don't know. How, how would you describe Flay at this point, Isaac? She wasn't that crazy before that. But I mean... Yes, she's a bit of a high-strung person. I think she's got a crush on Kira, although she—I don't know—she's kind of playing the men, right? The uh, she's playing the young men, a little she's bit playing wide and left and right. <laughs> <laughs> they should name Flay Lacus. <laughs> Flay is Lacuser than Lacus is. Pretty much, she's <laughs> loose as Lacus. <laughs> Anyways, yes, they're witnessing the battle, kind of partaking in it, but not as much as the other ships. And uh, it goes poorly, doesn't it, Brian? Yeah. Uh, Flay's father is on one of these Earth Alliance ships, and he doesn't make it. The ship gets destroyed, basically in front of her. And it was very unfortunate because she she knew that the battle wasn't going well, and she ran into the bridge and said, Hey, we need to offer up uh, Lacus as a hostage to get them to stop firing. And as soon as she made that suggestion, is basically when when her father's ship went up in a in a ball of a uh, ball of fire. He was in the shuttle bay. Remember, there were like minutes or seconds from evacuating him. Yep, didn't make it. <laughs> no. I, I also, if I remember correctly, I think Nataral, who's the second officer on um, the Archangel, she backed her up too, right? She was like, "Yeah, this is kind of the right move for the for oh yeah a terrible for sure. situation." <laughs> yeah, we we haven't talked about Nataral yet, but Nataral. Yeah. Uh, Nataral Badgeru, uh, who just has like this weird but like badass name, I guess. Yeah. Oh, she's one of my favorite characters. She's so cool. Yeah, I think she's great. She was the one who actually launched the Archangel out of Heliopolis. Out of Heliopolis, but and right away, although Ramius is higher ranked uh, than Nataral, you can tell that at some point these two are going to be on the opposite sides of the conflict or of a conflict i'll say yeah they, they they agree on a lot of things but they disagree on a lot of things also very different ways to approach right after flay's father's ship goes up in flames nataral ends up just getting on the comm anyway and basically outing that they have the and telling zaft to, to stop firing um, which was that pretty ballsy of her isaac i don't know is this um wouldn't that get you like i don't know court-martialed or something you mean for flay or nataral no for nataral Oh. Because she actually did it, remember? She was like, attention yeah. zapped. We have Lacus Klein. I think she. the only reason she did it is later on, maybe the same episode or something, the episode after, she does say that, like, you know, that Tenley was kind of taken a hostage in a time of war, but there are certain situations where it could, you know, it actually works. So mm, I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there was some law she knew about since in a court martial episode, we, uh, we clearly see that she's familiar with the law way more than, like, Moo. Oh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think she knew at least a few laws that would back her up on the situation. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And speaking of that court-martial, so Kira does not like using Lacus as a hostage. So him and his pals uh, sneak her out, and they turn her over to Athrin in the middle of the night, basically. 
And uh, one of the funniest parts of this first 24 episodes, I thought, was when Rao launched to, like, go intercept Kira once Atherin had Lacoos back. And Lacoos told him, like, Rao, stop. You can't do that here because we are in the middle of the remains of Junius 7 and no one can fight here. Please return your, your mobile suit to the ship. And, like, he had to listen to her. And I was like, oh, somebody got told. <laughs> To his credit, he does listen to like the commanding officer. You know, he's not yeah. too much of a hothead. He got owned by the bubblegum pop princess. <laughs> so from there, our our crew they are now attempting to go to Alaska. I believe there's a base there or something they were trying to get to to get the strike combat data or get the strike there, uh, just in general. And the Earth fleet is basically prioritizing their you know the Archangel's ability to do so. So they they place the Archangel in the back of this fleet so as to defend them but rao and the and the zaft boys just kind of don't give an f isaac no they don't i think even with like fewer ships also they're able to attack this pretty sizable earth alliance fleet and almost kill every ship i think pretty much it reminded me a lot of the battle of loom just very not yeah. not quite as big right i mean the uh, i guess we should say the earth alliance their mobile suits well they don't really have any First of all, they have these thing, yeah. these mobile armors uh, called Mobiuses, and they suck. They're not very good. Yeah, yeah. You have to be pretty lucky. Even their capital ships are terrible. Their capital ships, like, out-Solomus a Solomus. And I don't mean <laughs> that in, like, a good way. Like, these look way more fragile than, like, Solomus is. Yeah, so the Zaft boys, um, they're just tearing up this Earth fleet. And poor Kira over here, he's fighting all the Zaft boys by himself. I don't know. I Actually, through this whole first 24 episodes, Isaac... The Archangel has been very undermanned, like underpowered. They've got like the strike, and that's pretty much it. Did you feel the same way? Like, like how are the Zaft boys not winning? I mean, it's, a lot of it's also Moo, you know, because he's such yeah. an ace pilot. He really helps out. I, I, how how can you chalk it up? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe the Zaft boys just aren't very good. Yeah, I mean, they're using mobile suits they just got, so there's still a bit of a learning curve, even if they are, you know genetically enhanced blah blah blah, and all that the archangel clearly has way better defenses than the run-of-the-mill earth alliance ships so i think a lot of credit gets spread out on the side of our uh, our heroes yeah so the the battle doesn't go well for, for the earth alliance ships uh, most of them get destroyed as isaac mentioned and <clears throat> the strike uh, gets locked in a duel with uh, the dual gundam and the buster gundam and they're all three of them are sort of not able to get back to their ships or are about to not be able to get, to get back to their ships. Uh, Duel and Buster, in fact, do not make it back to their ships, so they have to re-enter Earth's atmosphere by themselves. The Archangel goes back and gets Kira uh, back into the ship, uh, but by doing so, they are thrown off course, and instead of landing in Alaska, in Alliance territory, they land in Zaft territory, Isaac. Yeah, I think they'll land in North Africa, <laughs> which is part of like Zaft's little ally and nation state called like African community or something like that. So they're gonna, just like the white base, they're gonna have to do their little journey around the world to actually get where they're supposed to go. Yep. And if you've seen 0079, you can see how closely this is mirroring the plot, right? We started in space with the Gundam Jack. You have a ragtag crew trying to get to safety, ending up re-entering the atmosphere. There's even the, the atmospheric fights are even very similar in the fact that the Gundam you know, had to re-enter to some degree on its own, which is a, a big thing, right, for mobile suits. So our Archangel crew lands in uh, Africa. <clears throat> uh, the Duel and the Buster also land in Africa. But Rao and his team, they stay in space. So Rao, Atherin, and... Um, 
Nicole. Nicole. N- Nicole. Yeah. Nicole. <laughs> Atherin and Nicole uh, stay in in space with Ral for now. So now now you you've just got two of the Zaft boys now pursuing the Archangel and the new enemy. What would you call him? The the Zaft antagonist on Earth is mm-hmm. he has a special name. What is his name, Isaac? He's the Desert Tiger, if I am correct, right, Brian? He is. And I gotta say, I loved the Desert Tiger on the rewatch. I thought he was one of the best characters. I don't know how you felt. Couldn't get enough of him. Really nice guy. Yeah. Uh, I also thought he had one of the best voice actors in, in the show, yeah. at least for the dub. I thought his was, outside of maybe Nataril, I thought maybe his VA was the best, which is a shame because he's not in the show the whole time, right? He's only in, what, I don't know, five, six episodes? Sort of. <laughs> yeah, sort of. I'll say that. <laughs> the Desert Tiger is sort of this. He he's basically the the Raoul de Crusade of the Africa region. But ironically, he hates Raoul de Crusade, and the the Archangel crew kind of engages his army. I'll call it a few times. It's very hard to fight in Africa where they are. It's a desert, so these mobile suits are trying to step on sand. They're sinking. Kira has to make a bunch of adjustments, but of course. Uh, you know, he gets his special nut mode, his, his special seed mode, and ends up, you know, kind of out-dueling basically all of the Desert Tiger's forces. At this point, the Archangel meets back up with uh, Kigali, and she's now part of the Desert Dawn, which is, uh, I don't know, how would you describe the Desert Dawn, Isaac? Are they a paramilitary civilian force? They're pretty, They're very much a resistance, almost bare bones. Like, they have certain equipment, but nothing close to, like, mobile suits. They got a lot of heart and a lot of spirit, but maybe not a lot of brains, considering they drive, basically, jeeps and, and armored vehicles into battle against uh, these mobile suits. That just doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah, but, you know, they're trying to defend their homeland, their way of living. They're very prideful. They said, you know, all we want to do is be left in peace and and all that, so they'll, they'll keep fighting, even though it's... Uh, bit of a one-sided battle <laughs> to say the least yeah and so kira ends up sort of befriending kigali and they they go into this town together and they end up encountering the desert tiger himself andrew waltfeld waltfeld is, is a very sharp individual so he recognizes that kira is the pilot of the strike and he invites them back to their headquarters and they have this sort of philosophical discussion about battle in this story waltfeld is basically some it's basically functioning as Rambo Rao. did you get that as well yeah, pretty much. But like, I don't know, very much a younger Rambo Rao, not too involved in like the uh, the ongoing intrigue that Zeon had going on. It, I mean, Andrew looks like he's clearly running things almost autonomously. Yeah. That was pretty cool. So I think that conversation has a big effect on Kira in terms of his outlook. How would you describe Waldfeld's f- philosophy, Isaac? Is it's basically like, when is enough enough? How do you find enough in war? I'd almost say he's like a punch clock villain. You know, he's he's not really ideologically into it. He's willing to do his duty, but he really makes sure there's not a lot of death for the civilians in the way. There's not a lot of collateral damage. A well-meaning villain, I guess you could say. <laughs> he's a great tactician. Um, he basically outmaneuvers the Archangel pretty much every step of the way. Kira does end up defeating him in, in sort of a climactic battle where, you know, Kira does you know use his uh his seed mode his walnut mode the, after that the archangel kind of sets off with kagali in tow which i thought was interesting she basically just forces her way onto the archangel yeah at that point they'd run into each other too many times so she might as well just come along to continue the resistance now that they actually liberated their little corner of north africa 
Yeah, but she's hiding a secret, Isaac. She sure is. The, our Archangel crew is pursued again by the the Rao Le Crusade team, and, and once the Desert Tiger has been eliminated, Rao, Atherin, and uh, Nicole descend uh, onto Earth to go help out the other two Zaft boys, who the other two Zaft boys, uh, Izak and Dirka, were pretty useless in that Desert Tiger battle. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> remember them doing much. You know, it was all Andrew and his... I guess his co-pilot, right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Andrew and his co-pilot, what did you think of like the Bakus and Andrew's mobile suit? Oh man. Okay, look. I think Andrew Waldfeld <laughs> was a great character. I thought he had presence, but I cannot take those Bakus seriously. Yeah, it's very Zoids. If you <laughs> oh, that was my exact thought. So, if, if there's listeners who have not watched Gundam Seed, the Bakus are are basically four-legged mobile suits that kind of glide around on they're made for i guess desert combat but they look like dogs you know yeah like hounds did they do this because zoids was popular around this time that's a good question i didn't think of that i don't know i just i couldn't take it seriously which is a shame again because i I think waltfeld was a great character now waltfeld had like a special baku it was called a a legao i think his looked like better yeah, it had that cool the bone in its mouth that was like a beam. It did, yeah. <laughs> but his even looked more like a Zoid than the Baku did. Yeah, in a bad way too. Like it was <laughs> Well, there's no good Zoids. But yeah, it was very um I don't know, too too action figure. <laughs> yeah, I remember when as soon as they got to the desert, I was like, "Oh man, I forgot about the Bakus. Like I forgot about this section of the show." And I was like, "Oh man, it's going to be it might be a little rough to get through these episodes but again i did enjoy waltfeld as a character it was really just it was hard to watch those those combat scenes not that they were bad combat scenes in general it was just kind of looked kind of silly you know when, when the strike is like stabbing a dog with a beam saber and i was like oh this is this is yeah. kind of strange zaf put together its best minds and they said in the desert we need giant robot dogs <laughs> 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 that is the best option <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Um, so again, the Archangel takes off with Kigali in tow, along with her escort. I forget his name. He's also hiding a secret. Yeah. And of course, Rao and team pursue them, and they get into another big battle, which was very abrupt. Did you notice that, Isaac? Yeah. it's They're always going to be nipping at their heels. <laughs> yeah. So we, we just we flash into this battle, and uh, the Zaft boys are giving the Archangel hell. Again, Kira and Mu are trying to fight off these four Gundams, you know, with one Gundam and one Mobius. Uh, and the Archangels basically had it at this point. It's pretty damaged. Things were not looking good. And they're getting a little bit off course, and they're starting to go into Orb territory. So, again, Orb is the faction that controlled Heliopolis uh, from the beginning of the story. And Orb is not, at least uh, in appearance, very thrilled about this incursion into their territory so they send out their whole fleet isaac and they and they say hey we're gonna fire on you if you don't leave but then turns out kigali here has been hiding like a an ace up her sleeve she turns out to be a princess of orb the princess of orb the daughter of the leader lord izumi and she is not the one that you'd expect to be a princess i mean she is for a lack of a better term a, a complete uh tomboy right yeah, pretty much. I mean, they even thought she was a boy at a few points in the series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, multiple times. Yeah. That was like a recurring gag that everyone did not expect her to be a girl. I think Kira, Mu, and Atherin all 
all said, oh, you're a girl, and to some extent. But the my favorite one was when Atherin did it, when, when her and uh, Atherin were stuck on that island, and she said, uh, why are men always so surprised? <laughs> I mean, it's hidden well. <laughs> we'll say that, Kagali. <laughs> so basically, Orb's fleet gets the Zaft fleet to kind of retreat, and they take in the Archangel and basically put out a statement saying, oh, uh, the Archangel has already left our waters. But that is not true. Instead, Orb has taken in the Archangel for repairs, you know, obviously with Kigali uh, in tow. They, they, they had no intentions of ever destroying the Archangel. That's kind of where we leave off, right, at the first half? Pretty much, yeah. That's the end of it. They've arrived in uh, what they think is safe waters. Dun, dun, dun. We met all our characters. We know who has Gundams, who doesn't. We've seen very much how much it's like the one-year war by the numbers. And now, the wait until the next combat. <laughs> so let's talk about the characters, Isaac. How about our main character, Kira Yamato? Oh, Kira. And we're going to cut it there for this episode. Next week, we'll continue our review of Gundam Seed's first half, including the characters, the mobile suit designs, and a bunch of probing questions for Isaac. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a comment on Twitter and on Instagram, both at Colony Dropcast, as well as on our YouTube channel. Until then, keep those Minovsky reactors warm and stay safe out there, everybody.